The Incomparable Podcast, Episode 113, with Jason Snell, Dan Morin, Serenity Caldwell, Lex Friedman, recorded live at the Sable Blue Conference in Montreal, Canada, October 2012. Music from Indiana Jones. I understand. The series of, of movies uh, starring Harrison Ford. Right. You may know him. Have you seen Star Wars? Some of them, yes. Okay. He, he's one ones. of the guys in the He, he in played Star Jar Wars. Jar Banks. <laughs> I am familiar with Harrison. I, I have not seen Indiana Jones, however. And yet you're on this panel, and that's you why. You wanted to mock me. This is the Incomparable Podcast. Live from the Singleton Symposium in Montreal, Canada, we have fled the United States of America because they have caught up to our crimes after 112 or so episodes. Uh, and our topic today is, uh, is the Indiana Jones series. We did a podcast with John Gruber back in episode 9, I want to say, something like that. 8 or 9, eight, eight or nine yeah. Uh, about Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Dan and, and John and I just talked about how great it was. But we thought we would come back and try to do something less obscure for something where we actually have people watching us talk. And so we're going to talk about everybody's favorite archaeologist slash teacher, uh, Indiana Jones. I actually just got Actually, a, Louis Leakey is my favorite archaeologist. Slash archaeologist. too bad. You no, it's every, he's everybody's favorite archaeologist, Dan. What is wrong with you? I actually just got a link on Twitter uh, right before we started to a McSweeney's article about how yeah, Indiana that's a Jones has one. been denied tenure. Because he's rarely in class, and his, I mean, his methods are questionable ethically. He, he, <laughs> if you recall, he climbs out of a window to avoid doing office hours, so not generally the kind of professor you're looking for for hands-on time. But uh, since they made the uh, institution co-educational, the women students apparently love him. That's what I'm told. And the men. The men yeah. want to be him. That's right, and they leave him apples. Anyway... Joining me, I should say, for those who haven't detected already who these people are, are uh, Dan Morin, who, uh, who has seen all the movies. <laughs> Hello. Serenity Caldwell, who has seen all the movies, right? Even the one we're not talking about. Oh, we'll, t- we'll talk about it. Maybe. Do we have to? Well, at the end. And Lex Friedman, who hasn't seen them. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> Lex hasn't seen it. <laughs> that's, that's, Lex has seen many movies. It's, it's not true that he's not seen any movies. He just hasn't seen any movies that anybody else has seen. Right. I, basically, there was a, a large gap in the 80s and early 90s when if a movie was fantastical, my parents weren't interested, and they were the arbiters of what we got to watch at home, so I didn't see it. So, Lex. And I haven't made up for that lost time. What do you know about Indiana Jones? I want to start before we start talking about these movies. I would like to quiz you about. This is like you, you seen that YouTube video about the three year old explaining Star Wars? Yeah, this is basically the same thing. Yes, only yeah. I'm 31. <laughs> it's other than that, it's exactly the same. This is what I know. I know it stars Harrison Ford. I believe Sean Connery. I just is told some, you that. Yes, Sean Connery is in one of the movies. in the fourth one that people don't like that had the nuclear bomb that he hides from in a refrigerator. Right. Um, You're doing great so far. Yes. It's like I, you've seen them. In the first one, I think it's the first one. I don't know which title goes with which movie, but in the first one, <laughs> oh there's God. the big boulder that he runs away from. Yes. And uh, everything I know about the first movie I know from UHF. And there's a thing where he's got a bag of sand that he's got to replace the weight 
and he's got to time it right yes. so that the so you've seen happen. the Weird Al Yankovic parody of yes. the movie, but not the actual movie. And I know there's one other thing. Oh, the um, I know that at the end. The, the Nazis, spoiler alert, get fried when the Ark of the Covenant opens. I know that happens. That right. is approximately he's, he, the extent He has basically of my seen it. The, the, <laughs> he's seen the first five minutes and the last five minutes. Right. There's nothing in the middle, oh, really. I, I know about the scene that we talked about where there's, he, he, Harrison's got the, a gun and there's somebody else with a sword and he just shoots the guy with the sword instead of sword fighting. That's 30 seconds in the middle, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I've essentially That's seen base, Your bases are covered. Right. So. I get two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ren, you weren't on our Raiders of the Lost podcast, but this is where that this is where the whole series starts, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, we should probably talk about it at least briefly. Although I just bought the the Blu-ray set of this, which comes with all four movies. By the way, you can't not buy all four movies. Meaning, you get the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is this. I believe it was animated with claymation. There are the, monkeys. Something, I don't know. That it's movie, apocryphal. I maintain, that movie would have been way better. if You know how everybody in the Jones family is afraid of something? Like, Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes. Did you know that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and his dad's afraid of rats. Um, I thought it would have been much better if his son had been afraid of monkeys. Um, and so you could get the line, you know, monkeys, why did it why have, to, have be to be monkeys? That would have made my but day. But it didn't happen. So on the, on the Blu-ray, which looks beautiful, and I know you just saw the IMAX re-release, which preceded the Blu-ray coming out, but it is it has this terrible revisionism in it, which it's now labeled as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is not the name, but they've decided to insert that because it's, it's like, that's as close as Steven Spielberg comes to George Lucas level. At least he didn't replace all the guns with walkie-talkies like with E.T. That was awful. It would also make that movie apologized. nonsensical. He has since apologized and reversed that. It would but. not make any sense if the guy with the sword whipped the sword <laughs> around by a and then the walkie-talkie and he falls down. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and then Indiana Jones oh, no, rides I'm off on a bicycle. You so, so do you have things you'd like to say, Rand, about Raiders of the Lost um, Ark? About Raiders of the Lost Ark. so great. Well, my mother is a huge Indiana Jones fan and raised me to be a huge Indiana Jones fan. Although Lex. I'm, Raised me to be a huge fan of the first and the third movie. I don't think I've seen Temple of Doom since I was seven, and I think I've only seen it once or twice. But Last Crusade was pretty much on repeat in our house, where my mother would just go around, not necessarily always on the television, but she would be quoting it constantly. So, like, no ticket was sometimes a very popular line, like when she was giving my friends rides in our minivan, where... She'd throw one of them out of the door and say, no "No ticket. ticket. (laughs) No ticket. (laughs) But no, it was... um, Indiana Jones in general was just a sort of cultural mainstay for my mom in in the house uh, and Raiders. I hadn't I hadn't actually seen Raiders in a couple years until the thirty five millimeter restoration, which was very very poor of me, I know. But uh, I came back to it uh, out of sheer luck because I think you told me about a thirty five millimeter screening happening in Mill Valley last right. year uh, that happened to have all of well all of the heads of the FX department there after the, the showing to answer questions. And one of them pulls this little time, like the, at the end of the film, you know, the Nazis get incinerated, but before they get incinerated, they're like, Oh, you know what? We are going to film the opening of the Ark of the covenant for posterity. We're going to, you know, we're going to see and take this film and send it back to, to the third Reich. And so they can see our glory and our, you know, our magic, uh, except, you know, that doesn't go so well for them. And the film camera melts and, you know, but uh, to do that, they used maquettes. Spoiler. Uh, and one of the guys who built the... I have no idea the, what that uh, means. It's a small yes. model. Little, yeah. Little Some, pu- sometimes made people. out of clay, sometimes made out of various plastics. But uh, the, one of the props guys who was there, he's like, 
oh yeah, I have that. Uh, I have the film or the the little camera in my pocket. You want to come see? And he just pulls don't, it out. Don't, yes. That's a terrible line, by <laughs> so the way. Let me, do not yes. do not follow that. I have maquettes from Raiders of the Lost Ark in my in my pen in my, my, my car actually. <laughs> Uh, but no, he pulls out this tiny little camera, and it's only, you know, I, I'm gesturing for our real audience, but our radio audience, it's only about, you know, an, an inch or two tall, um, this little tiny thing. He's like, here, you want to hold it? And I'm like, yes. Uh, so, I mean, that was really cool. And The way to a woman's heart is through uh, models. From yes, little tiny models, from, models from, from movies. Amazing movies that I love dearly. How, how um, young were you when you saw it for the first time? Because it's, we, I just showed my kids Raiders of the Lost Ark, and... and it's a little bit scary. I mean, plus people like melt at the end, which is it's a little harsh. You know, the strange. I think I saw uh, Last Crusade before I saw Raiders, because I think my mother deemed that more, you know, more um, more child friendly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are there are some you know scary things in. I mean, there's a guy melting away into nothingness and bones, and but. Uh, other than I'm, but that also happens in Raiders. Well, so but, what, was the movie your kid's introduction to Nazis, Jason? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I was going to ask about that. That is, I don't that think is so. actually Actually, the one more the okay, difficult part. So there. the reality is, mm. my kids knew the entire plot of all three movies before they ever saw the movies because of Lego Indiana Jones, which they played all the way through. And this is actually true of the Star Wars movies too, which is a really bizarre way to be introduced to a movie series is to know the plot but retold. Through kind of wacky Lego hijinks because they, don't, and they don't say anything. There's no dialogue. No, no, just kind of, mm. no, they cry and they laugh and, and, and there are like movie references that the kids kind of don't get at all. So I'm very curious. Uh, how do they handle the face melting scene in Raiders and Lego Indiana Jones? Oh, I don't know. I think I think there's just a big explosion and they and their blocks they all they're blown to they're, Lego blocks, yeah. right? I think no that's melting it. Lego blocks. Just like the Nazis deserved. Yeah. So I think that's what they know about that. And I, I have an issue. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, the Nazis are, um, they're, they're scary. They're, they're not, I mean, they're, they're competent to a certain extent. And then beyond that, I mean, the truck, there are better ways to move a, a piece of valuable historical uh, content through the desert rather than having sort of a guy in a truck with a couple other guys in the back and then a car and then the guys in the car watch as the truck is slowly well, they, assaulted. By they how... had a plane, Jason. <laughs> well, and then they blew it up. But apparently Nazis can't drive. Like, the, the level of competence in that driving squad and in the, you know, general competent sh- squad is very low. I feel like, oh, yeah, we're just, we're just going to watch uh, this guy, you know, this guy with the hat come and take over. They, they literally just know? watch as Indiana Jones gradually takes control of well, the truck. They moment. don't try to crash into the truck. They don't try to slow down. They, they just sort of like, no, no, there's an action scene going on. Just, it's cool. Let's watch. Yeah, what will happen? See he'll, he'll probably win. die. There's probably. One, there's one thing in that action chase scene where I think all of the Nazis who are either in the back of the truck or the Nazis in like the truck next door that eventually climb over, they all have this like, oh, there's something exciting happened. We get to go participate. And then they start climbing oh, one by one. Is that... Is that behind the truck? Is that the truck it's that's the, next? The guys, the guys in the truck climb over the yeah. top. Yes, but they're, the, all, they're in the back. they all have this really excited look like, oh, we're going to get to do something rather than stand around and watch people dig. Right. And they all die. Yeah, they all die. As but, we all but, know, the downfall of the Third Reich was their inability to obey traffic laws. <laughs> but, but the Nazis in, in Raiders are scary. And, and and somewhat competent. And, and, and you've menacing. got Tote. Menacing. They're menacing. Nowadays. And you've got yeah. Tote, who, who is the guy who goes to visit. He follows Indy on the... Uh, 
on the plane, and then he goes to Marion's bar and th- almost burns her face with a red hot poker, and ends up with the the impression of the staff on burned into his hand. I mean, he's a scary guy. So scary, in fact, that when he takes off his coat and is uh, making a little metal little a little hanger. It, you think that he, he's got a torture device, but it turns out he's just going to hang his coat up. But he's really scary, and the Nazis in general are scary. And the problem I have with Last Crusade is that the Nazis in that movie are more like, like, the, like Boss Hogg from the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> they're a little, they're a little bit wackier and incompetent, which I, I don't think does them. But justice. so are all those movies set like in the late '30s, early '40s? Is it happening during World War II? I don't. Yeah, know. there's. Yeah. Well, so, okay, so we have you know you have Raiders, and then Temple of Doom is actually a prequel. I, I believe had it no takes place a year or two earlier. 1936. Yeah, um, and then Last yeah, so, Crusade so takes place. So those last. three movies are are, are pre are pre years. World War Two, and then the, that fourth movie is is set like in the actual sort of time dis- distance. So it's in the fifties. So when you're the second one, you said is a prequel. Then so there's no you never fear for Indy's life if you know that he Correct. lives. Correct. No, I was going to say that if their first movie that you saw was Last Crusade, you know, you know he's probably okay. I but I mean, it's, a, it's that kind of movie, anyways. It doesn't matter. It's a romp, right? It's a, it's yeah. a well, adventure. It's like a James serial. Bond movie. You know, James Bond's never going to die. They're not going to kill him I off, <laughs> or will they? No. I mean, he only lives twice. <laughs> They're not. Um, They'll just bring in another James. Well, yeah, Bond. The, the, yeah. The, the Nazis are considerably more bumbling in Last Crusade. I don't think that's necessarily a problem tonally. It's a very different movie. It's a lot. It's a lot more comedic. I mean, not to say that Raiders isn't funny and witty and there are clever lines of dialogue and there's clever set pieces, but uh, The Last Crusade is clearly much more of a character-driven piece, I'd say, in some ways. And because it's really about the, the relationship between Indy and his dad. And, it's, and it is lighter, and I think one of the reasons it's, it's lighter, and because Raiders has some darkness in it and some funny things, and, but it, it's, and I love that movie so much. The second movie, which we should talk about at least a little bit, uh, and I don't particularly like it other than the first five or ten minutes, is really dark. And I feel like the third movie um, is lighter and more rompy, partially, I think... In, As backlash. It, it, yeah. Because it was... That movie was criticized and not really liked by a lot of people because it was so dark. I mean, people, like... Ripping people's hearts. Well, I believe the, I believe it was the first movie ever to have a PG thirteen rating. Was it the first one to have it, or was it the the, or the one that, that necessitated that creating it? That they it. needed to have another rating because people were taking their kids to see this movie, and it was really dark and scary. It's the opening sequence in uh, Temple of Doom it's is great, well. right? Which which is what Kate Capshaw singing "Anything Goes" in in Chinese, except Mandarin, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great. Well, it feels like, I mean, what I liked about it was that... In Shanghai, right. It feels feels a little bit like a James Bond movie. There's this scene where Indy comes in, he's wearing a tux, and he's basically there to, like, make a trade-off for this this gem. Yeah, he sits down at the table. Sits down at the table, moves it over on the Lazy Susan, and then it's sort of like there's this constant shift of power back and forth where he and this uh, gangster are sort of trying to outdo each other. Then the guy, turns out the guy's poisoned him and has the antidote, so he needs to get the antidote, and of course all hell breaks loose, and they're running around. And it's a little more slapsticky at that point, but there is, it reminds me of a James Bond set piece. Right. There's a giant diamond, and there's the, uh, a vial containing the antidote, and there's a, uh, uh, a riot on this dance floor, and both of those objects are being kicked throughout as, as Kate Capshaw is seeking the diamond and Indy is seeking his his uh, vial of antidote. I would just point out that whenever Dan Morin's on the dance floor, there's a riot on the dance floor. It's, it's true. true. He's a very good dancer. Little known fact about Dan Morin. Thanks, Lex. Any other thoughts you have about the... What do, you, do you know anything about the second movie? 
Uh, I you just mentioned that somebody ripped somebody's heart out of their chest. Yeah, that's about all. That's of my pretty knowledge. scary. Yes, is, is, is the person does the person live to see the heart ripped out? I don't think so. Oh, well, yeah. It's not. I, I don't. I really don't like the Temple of Doom. I think it's a real. I should I skip it? Because Dave Whiskus sent yes. me the, the whole series. You should. You should, should skip. watch you the should first s- ten minutes. Watch until they bail out of the plane. There's a great. You can watch the a, mind. The mind sequence. There's too. a that's great laugh fun. line. Um, when they get to the airport and you think everything is resolved and he slams the door shut on the airplane and, and uh, nice try, Lao Che, and he closes the door and it says, Lao Che Air Freight. <laughs> like, okay. He's, oh, and a, and a cameo, a brief cameo right before Dan that Aykroyd. by Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Strange. Why is he in that yeah, movie? Yeah, doing a British accent. But you're right. There's the whole mind chase thing. The, the, the end set piece good. is really well done. There's, you know, a couple nice action sequences at the end. There's a lot of gross-out stuff, right? Like, there's the... Yeah. Well, there is. There's this whole banquet of, like, delicacies, which are all these really, like, monkey brains the monkey and all brains. this. Yeah. And it's one of the few things I remember from oh. Temple it's of really, it's, I have it vividly it, in my head. Gross. Again, tonally, it's very weird. And then there's a scene with a bunch of bugs, right. um, where they're, and then they're going to get crushed by these giant rocks. And I, I don't know. I, I kind of like Short Round. I, I am amused sure. by Short Round, who is a kind of a cool sidekick character. Do you, see, do you ever see The Goonies? No. no. Oh, Lex. This is the reason we brought you here. Um, but, I mean, there are, some, there are a couple nice set pieces in Temple of Doom, I think. But overall, it, it lacks the resonance in many ways. And I think part of that for me as a kid was knowing about these movies and knowing, well, in the, in the first movie, he goes after the Ark of the Covenant, which is a fairly prominent you know, archaeological artifact. And the third movie goes after the Holy Grail, which is obviously pretty prominent. And the second one is about these rocks. <laughs> well, and, every... and like a death cult, right? It's right. The, and like it's kind of... Kali's death cult. It's in kind India. of not... It doesn't resonate as well, I think, in some ways because it's not as much of a pop culture thing. Yeah. Well, and even India has his off days, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to watch him. The thing that drives me... <laughs> The most crazy about Temple of Doom is that Kate Capshaw is such... I like Kate Capshaw outside of this movie. Inside of this movie, she is the most screeching, incomprehensible, completely impossible to deal with character who just seems to get in a lot of trouble and doesn't really do anything. I mean, you know, Marion in the first movie gets in a lot of trouble... But she at least smart talks her way out of some things. And well, she's, 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 she's got competent. spunk. She's yeah. got spunk. She's competent. She survived in the, you know, where, where is she? In Thailand? Or, or not in Thailand. In, um, where, is she, where is she? Nepal. In, the beginning, in Nepal. In, Nepal yeah. in the beginning of the movie. Like, she survives there for God knows how many years after her father she dies. She runs the bar and, the table yeah, and, and wins yeah. drinking contests. Yes. You know, she is a competent character. Um, even uh, the, Nazi, the Nazi woman whose name, uh, Elsa, right? Elsa. Elsa um, she's more competent like she she is not my favorite of the indiana jones uh heroine or uh villainesses ladies ladies, yes leading ladies uh but you know kate capshaw i feel like has no reason for being there other than she can sing anything goes in mandarin and she ended up marrying steven spielberg so that was really great for steven spielberg well but in in raiders indy's got his he collects a group as he goes and it's and it's these competent people he's got sala in egypt and and marion says i'm your goddamn partner right (laughs) so she's going to come along for the ride and the second movie it's almost like indy gets saddled with sidekicks and falling out of plane and Mm -hmm. and short round is is kind of fun although there is also that moment of like why are you why are you taking a little kid and having him like drive a getaway car through the streets of shanghai while you're being shot at anything goes jason (laughs) 
it, it's and then so in again in the third movie in Last Crusade, it's like back to basics. It's well, let's let's go back to the Nazis and a historical artifact. Sala is back. Uh, Marcus Brody. They drag him along. You dragged poor Marcus along. Turns is brought is brought out um, from the university, and we see more of him. And it turns out he doesn't people, really survive. I well. mean, you know, it's tough because a lot of people think he's got this. He's got this sort of mentor role in the first one, right? Right. Where he's and so of course in the in the last one he ends up being somewhat more bumbling but I still love him and Denholm Elliott as, a, as an actor there doing these things it's, it has such great moments with the you know Indy trying to convince the Nazis like he'll blend in he knows every local culture he speaks a dozen languages he's got friends everywhere you'll never find him and the next scene is him does anyone here speak English or perhaps ancient Greek <laughs> You know, yeah, Marcus, he's, been, he's been in the ivory tower too long. Yeah, I thought you said yeah. he would blend in. You know, Marcus, he got lost in his own museum once. Yeah, <laughs> got lost in his own museum. Eh? Yeah, but but it was so great to see those characters back again. I, both both Sala and Marcus uh, in that movie, and then we of course we get Sean Connery, Henry Jones as as uh, as Andy's and, dad. And this is really what makes the the third movie for me is that and they're what ten years apart in age. Did we, did yeah, we're we 12, 12 years apart in age. So <laughs> Sean Connery really only tenuously able to be. Harrison Ford's father. So I love the fact that so you got to cast, you know, Indiana Jones' father. Who's the only person who's badass enough to be Indiana Jones' father? James <laughs> Bond. Um, and yet he plays totally against type. And he does a fantastic job of this, you know, professor, you know, professor of archaeology like his son. But they're also, they don't talk. They're estranged. They have this very difficult relationship. You get the hint at some point that the, you know, his mother was sick and didn't tell um, his father, and so she died and left him to raise Indy by himself. Right. And they, they are very strained, and they have, even though they work in the same field, there's a certain element of, you know, competitiveness. Um, and it, it, to me, it, it resonates as a father-son relationship. They do a great job of capturing that. Um, there's a brilliant moment where they're riding on this, this motorcycle and the sidecar and they're plowing through Nazis and, you know, in, yeah. Indiana Jones grabs, he grabs Dukes a flagpole. Dukes of hazard Nazis, but yes. He grabs a flagpole and there's this guy coming up on a motorcycle and he's unslinging his gun and he takes the flagpole and sticks it in the guy's wheel and flips the, the, the motorcycle up and he kind of grins to himself. He looks down at his dad and his dad just gives him this disapproving look, <laughs> checks his watch. And it's like anyone who has ever, you know, tried to do any, you know, any son who has ever tried to bond with their father over something like that kind of has experienced that moment. Over something like that? Yeah. <laughs> when you're with your dad. Have you never, have you never, have you never run away from Nazis with your dad? And your dad's in the sidecar <laughs> on your, of your motorcycle on your way to Berlin to get the Fuhrer to sign an autograph. It's, who it's a lot of that? stuff. My favorite moment uh, there is actually when Indy first runs into his father, and by runs into, I mean he smashes through a window where his father is being cowled captive in a formerly is it is like a it's supposed to be a castle, a castle of some sort, on the Austrian border. Yes, so he crashes through the window, and Henry Jones Sr. hits him over the head with a fake replica vase, and he falls over. He's like, "Oh!" and he's like, "Junior!" and he goes and he's like, "Yes, sir." It's like he's just been hit over the head. I thought you were one of them, just, Dad. They come in through the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh Dan, you've seen this movie a lot. This is, I, this I, is one of your favorite movies. Isn't that it? is one of my favorite movies. I did like like Ren. I saw it first, um, and it was something I saw it at my aunt's house when I was a kid. Um, You're so young. I know. I saw this. I saw it in a movie theater in college. <laughs> 
You're killing me here. It well, at least I saw it. already by the time it had come out. I was not married yet. No, no. I was still in college. Small favors. But I, and I went back from there to fill in. I mean, I remember my, my experience watching it then, and I really liked it. And then I went over to my friend Evan's house uh, when I was in high school, and a bunch of us were over there for a sleepover for his birthday when we were like 15, 16, or something like that. And we're having, he's like, oh, let's watch all three Indiana Jones movies. So we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. We started to watch Temple of Doom. We got through the first 10 minutes. He goes, the rest of this movie sucks. Turns it off. Then we went to Last Crusade <laughs> and watched the rest of that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The, maybe it's just because the comedic aspect, you know, I think really, I, I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy the dynamic between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. There's, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like uh, Last Crusade. I, I wanted to, before we talk about that a little bit more, I wanted to talk about something that I think makes Indiana Jones a great action hero, which is the fact that he is affected and troubled and, and isn't, he's rumpled. He's, he's you know, he, he gets hurt. He has phobias. He he gets kind of tormented, and you can tell that it, that that these things bother him, and that includes his father treating him kind of badly. And you can tell that it upsets him. in the In the first movie, he gets beat up, and and you know he's not impervious. When he gets beat up, he feels it, and and it hurts all over, except like here, right? Not the years, honey. It's the mileage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things I love about that character is that he doesn't. He doesn't show us that he's this impervious superhero. He's in fact really human and can really get hurt and get angry and uh, and also just be annoyed, right? Which I think in the second movie, that's I mean that's the reason Kate Capshaw is there is really to just to bug him, and she does a great. She bugs everybody. Well, in the that's audience, a, he, too. he that's reminds me a lot of uh, John McClane too from Die Hard, right? Same sort of Same thing. It's like they're very vulnerable, right? And to me, we we actually we had a discussion about this when we watched Last Crusade um, about. The end scene where they, you know, try to force Indy to basically, we got to find, you know, the, you got to go get the grail. Right. And to save your dad. He's, and, you know, the, the guy's got a gun on him. He's like, well, you can't shoot me. He's like, you know what? You're right. And he shoots his dad, which I think is just one of the brilliant moments of, you're right. There is no threat to that from uh, either from him. He knows he's not, it's not an issue because they need, they need him to get it. And from us as the audience, we know it's Indiana Jones. He's not going to, he's not at threat. But, like Superman, for example, which is another great example, he is impervious, right? So there's never any threat to Superman unless you deal with the whole kryptonite thing. But the way to get to Superman is to get to the people that he loves. That is, that is the way to make that have stakes is by putting those people in jeopardy. Lex, have you heard of... Lane is his real kryptonite? Lex, have you heard of I Superman? Am. I have heard of Superman. I have not seen Die Hard. Oh, <laughs> Lex. Put it on the list. Put it on the, the list, Lex. increasing list. But one of the nice things about, um, and I know another movie that you love, Dan, especially, is Lawrence of Arabia. Yes. Right? Um, we, we share that. I, I love that movie, too. Especially the first half. The second half is a little dark. But still, a, a classic, right? One of the nice things about the scope of The Last Crusade is that they're out in the desert, and they're, they're you know, it feels big yeah. in it's, a way. It's epic. It, it, it is an epic, and going out, having them out in the desert, and there's that whole like the tank battle, and they're de- they're going through the sand, and they're riding on the horses at the end, and there's everything that's in the caves. It just I, I love that whole part because it's such a, a tank battle goes on maybe a little too long, but it's such a it's so such a broad scope. Yeah, it really is that it feels wide open and epic in a in a classic movie kind of way. That yeah, it's it's got it's that not claustrophobic. David Lean, it's you know, sort of not, grand yeah. vistas. Um, uh, although I believe it was all filmed in Spain, or a lot of that that scene, the tank sequence was in Spain. Well, Spain's got some terrain that they can double for. Yeah. Although the tank battle does give us that lovely moment at the end where the tank goes over the cliff, and Sean Connery thinks that Indy's 
also fallen over the cliff with it. And of course, in the end, <laughs> he pulls himself up by the vine. And all three of them, you know, Marcus and Sala and Henry are all like looking over the edge. And he comes up behind them and just goes, whew, you know, looking down, shaking his head. <laughs> that was a close one. That was close. What's down there? What are you looking at? Um, yeah. So, I, no, I agree. There, there's a, a suitably epic scope to it that you don't get in Temple of Doom, which is a much more claustrophobic movie yeah. in many ways. And there are Zeppelins in... There are Zeppelins, yes. One of my favorite things in any piece of fiction, frankly, is are there Zeppelins? You have to ask the question, and if the answer is yes, there's a good chance I'm going to like it. The Zeppelin in, in uh, Last Crusade... He, well, they go on without a ticket. It, it's a it's a German. Well, they go they go they on. They have tickets, yeah. but they're they're being hunted, right? And so the the Nazi, the Nazi they've come to Berlin comes to try, like check on right. everybody. And of course, Harrison Ford sees him doing this and basically uh, dresses up as you know the the attendant. And as the Nazi is questioning his father, taps him on the shoulder and gets that brief moment of recognition. And then Indy just throws him out the zeppelin. Yep, looks around and goes, no ticket, no ticket. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we got our ticket. <laughs> But another great moment there. I mean, you know, you end up with a conversation between the the Henry and Indy about, you know, well, we never really talked when I was a kid. And like, well, father, we're what, here now. Let's you know, what, talk. What do you want to talk about? He's like, I can't think of anything. It's hard. It's hard to. It is hard to have. I do find it very, very uh, illuminating as a relationship because, it, again, to that point of him being not a Superman. You know, he has a dad, right? And there is a certain amount of vulnerability to having your father. You know, trying to impress on your father that, you know, I'm a grown up. I have accomplished things in my life. I don't do things the way that you do, but that doesn't mean I'm not successful. Uh, and especially when, you know, for people who end up in similar career paths to their fathers, you know, you get a lot of friction. I think a lot of times a lot of butting heads. And right, because so, he didn't do it the way his dad did. You call this archaeology. Different good, fields. Good yeah. Sean Connery there. Dan. We should talk a little bit about uh, the opening to that movie, too, since we get sort of a nice little flashback to, what is it, Indy's supposed to be 12? Oh, it's Young Riddle? Indiana Jones. Yeah. 13, 14, River yeah. Phoenix. With River, with River Phoenix as Young Indiana Bless Jones. And we, and we learn the origin of Indy's fear of snakes and of, of the scar that Harrison Ford has on his chin, that he always has on his chin. But in this, it's explained that he gets it in this adventure that he has out, again out in the wide open spaces of like it's like 1918 and he's 1912 on a, 1912 and, and he's on a, he's a on a boy scout a railroad uh is it a railroad a train yeah so he's on a, a boy heist, scout yeah. a boy scout adventure on are they on horses or mules or they're yeah. trekking off to let's explore some caves but don't get too lost and Oh, of course, the cave that Indy stumbles upon happens to be excavated right, in and progress. And it's a very fake-out and, yes. and they're archaeologists who... Yeah, it's a fake-out because you think it's going to be Indiana Jones. Well, because you see a guy in a hat, in a hat. and yes. then there's in these Indiana two kids Jones's who have hat. not been identified yet. Yeah, and, but it turns out that he is he is a, the, the bad kind of archaeologist, right? Who, well, is he? I mean, I always wondered about that. Or is he just Indiana Jones? I think he's a slightly more mercantile... Your, uh, or mercenary, sorry, mercenary Indiana Jones, who's, you know, he's kind of more of on the ground grave robber side he's kind of the all the other polarizing figure right because you've got his dad who is the very by the book archaeologist and you've got this other influencing figure who says you know leaves him with those you you know you lost today but you don't have to like it and gives him the hat and everything well you know the the in in raiders uh belloc is his his competitor and he has that great line about where you know we're not that different, you and I, Jones. The, the sad line that has been reused every, in every terrible right. scene. It would take only 
what is it? One small nudge to nudge make to you, make you like, like me. <laughs> but but that's the that's the point is that if you look at, at what Indy does, he does bring. I mean, in, in Raiders, when he got, comes back, he says, "I got a lot of good pieces, and the museum will buy them." And and there is that question: like, is he? I mean, he's kind of a grave robber. Right? There is that question right. about the overall ethics of what of what he does. And in Last Crusade, you that's this guy. You know, he. You know, he, is he good? Is he bad? He's a lot like Indy, and that's, I think that's one of the questions. Well, and it's also one of the overarching themes of Indiana Jones as a character where, you know, he, he is an archaeologist first and foremost, and he is fascinated by certain pieces and certain things, and those drive him forward. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, laws and rules don't necessarily need to matter. It's just about getting something done and finding a way to do that and getting battered up and bruised in the process and you see that a little bit in the prologue where he's you know he's taking that piece away from them even though they rightfully found it because he's like no this is a very important historical piece this should be in a museum right he he, feels righteous about it and he carries it on for like 20 more years because i mean we we pass through time from 13 year old indiana jones to you know uh, late 20s early 30 indiana jones and he's on a boat and he's like yes i finally found this piece it's only taken me 20 years but hey you know He's a man with his obsessions. Yeah. Uh, just like his father, really. I mean, because that's the whole sort of point there is his dad was really obsessed with grail lore and to the detriment of raising his son. Um, and so it turns out they have a lot in common, but have gone about it different ways. Well, it's a movie about obsessions. You know, uh, Indy's mother dies because she doesn't tell him something and Indy's father spends the rest of his life trying to figure out something for eternal life because, you know, it, you can't help but think that those, are, those two things are connected. Lex, have you seen um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I have, yes. Oh, oh good. <laughs> this is just like that movie. It's a lot like yes. that. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, it does have reference. a knight of the round table, so yeah, maybe not the round table. That's, no, it's the it's, it's the, crusade. the crusades. Yes, the crusades yeah. knights. Yeah, it's um, that, so the end of that movie is uh, with the steps that he has to take and the and he he goes over the the bridge and and it's that leap of faith that he's got and then with the. Uh, really classic moment uh, where Julian Glover, who we haven't mentioned from from Empire Strikes Back, from the Empire Strikes Back, and he was uh, he was in one of my favorite old Doctor Who episodes too, The City of Death by Douglas Adams. See, it all is it's all connected. It's all connected. Um, Julian Glo- Glover is is gets his shot at uh, the Holy Grail from the Wall of Cups, which is such a great. But uh, sadly, he lets the femme fatale choose and deliberately kill him. Yeah, he chose poorly, right? <laughs> Which is that that classic line that the that that uh, it's such a great moment where Indy gets to use his the, the the Jones the Jones smarts to say who would have what would that cup be actually and it's the plainest cup of all and he uses it to not to give himself eternal life necessarily or does he is Indiana Jones immortal yeah, at the, the end debate, of this movie the, you know when we were, well, we were he saves his dad this. but then you know does he just took every every sip? every I think. Once you watch this for the first time, especially if you watch it when you're like a teenager, you have to have that debate. Like, Indiana Jones is immortal now. But, you know, you can find all the loopholes and everything. Well, he crossed past the seal. Maybe he has to keep drinking from it to keep alive. Because that guy, you know, there's a knight who's been in there for 700 years. And clearly he's not like, you know, buying food at the grocery store down the street and coming back and hanging out the Holy Grail. Right. Um, So I don't think so. He has it delivered. (laughs) Yeah. It may have been a little extra. It takes a really long time to get the takeout pizza when the pizza guy keeps getting decapitated by your defenses. That's true. That's a good point. 
So yeah, and I and I like the um, the ending of that movie too, where you have that brief scene where you know Elsa, of course, tries to take the Grail past the seal, which they're not supposed to do. The whole thing starts to break up in this earthquake, and she falls down the chasm, and Indy's grabbed her, and she thinks she can reach the Grail, and she won't give Indy her other hand, and then she falls to her death, which is pretty dark also for an Indiana Jones movie. This is interesting because she there is sort of almost a James Bond parallel. We have these two you know, female leads from the previous movies who are heroines in various ways. And this one, clearly not a heroine, right? She is manipulative. She's an opportunist. She is there to do her own thing. And she basically, you know, betrays Indy into giving up uh, all of the location of the Grail and all this. But she still also tries to argue that, oh, we can get out of here. It's just you and me, and we've got this. And she's really looking for that opportunity. And so when she falls to her death... You know, he stumbles in and he thinks he can reach it. And it takes his dad coming over and saying, you know, let it go. And, of course, this from the guy who is notoriously obsessed with the Grail. So it brings a weight to that of even him saying, I found this thing I've been looking for my entire life. And it's not worth losing my son over. Like, I've got he it's a matter of perspectives, a matter of priorities. Now I don't have to watch it. No. Now you know what it all means. You still really should watch it, Lex. I'm going to watch it. I think he is immortal, though, because then he hides in a refrigerator during a nuclear bomb blast and survives. So I think he is actually immortal. (sighs) Should we talk about what happened? (laughs) What happened I will tell my favorite story about... It's not a a prequel. It's a sequel. I will tell my favorite story about this. There was years and years of speculation of there being another Indiana Jones movie. And people would ask repeatedly Harrison Ford... Uh, whether or not there was going to be another one. And at a certain point, I think even after they would sort of announced, okay, we're going to do one at some point, I remember a story where someone asked him, well, what's, the, what's it going to be? And Harrison Ford <laughs> clearly, um, I don't know if he was drunk or what, but he told them, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, Indiana Jones and the Opal of the Merman Prince. <laughs> and, and people ran with that. <laughs> they thought he was serious. Sure. Why not? And I love it because it sounds like a Harry Potter book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the funny things about about these movies is that uh, they don't get done without Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, and I think that's one of the reasons why it, it, they went so long is they they had other stuff to do. Uh, and really, George Lucas had other George stuff Lucas to do? was doing some other stuff, and Steven Spielberg. I mean, these are you know, Steven Spielberg's a busy guy who is making lots of movies, many of which are meaningful and win Oscars and things like that. Right? He, he's he's arguably one of the you know great living directors right and has made some bad movies and has made some fantastic movies but they the, the deal was always that Spielberg directed and Lucas would come up with a story now well, there's some issues there right but um, it is it's fascinating to see Spielberg come back to the series because Spielberg I, I would argue maybe does his best work in any movie in Raiders of the Lost Ark it, it, it's not just it's an adventure and it's got its silly moments but it's kind of brilliantly directed I think you can actually one of the I was talking to John Gruber before this uh, about one of the possibilities of doing a podcast here and I said you know what we we should do sometime somewhere is take that blu-ray of Raiders and do what Roger Ebert does with Citizen Kane which is play it and then at any point anybody can raise their hands and pause it and talk about what they're seeing on the screen I, I think it Raiders is so great as a as a movie the way it's shot and the way it's directed that you that it would it would withstand that level of scrutiny. It is a, I, will, I will happily concede it is a better crafted movie than, than Last Crusade, though Last Crusade has a special place in my heart. Sure, sure. 
But it's funny then with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to see these guys get the band back together and tour state fairs. And as it turns America. out, that maybe you shouldn't get the band get back yeah. together after that well, many years. You know, it makes me sad because there are little snippets of Crystal Skull that I actually somewhat enjoy. Like rereading, I've, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. And going over the synopsis before we sat down to talk about Indiana Jones today, uh, I realized, you know, some of the stuff that I remember I actually really like. And there are some, there's, it's nice to see a little bit of closure to Indy, the story, Marion, things like that. That's, that's nice. That's great. But then the other two-thirds of the movie are, you know, okay, we're going to push the boundary of is it, isn't it magic to full-on alien speculation and we're going to throw in CGI monkeys and we're going to throw in, whole, you know, exploding things and nuclear fridges. And it just, it, it takes a small want, the want for a closure of a, of a fun romp and a story, and then it just... You know, it's it's as if a bunch of terrible uh, a bunch of terrible Hollywood types got together and sat down in a room like, all right, we have this great Indiana Jones nugget. What can we put around it to make sure that everybody will come see it and make it the blockbuster of the summer? I don't know. You, you know, I I at the risk of of being pelted to death by all, all other righteous geeks around, I. I don't think there's. I don't think it's that bad. The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think that it. I think it suffers because of. First off, it's a. It's a Steven Spielberg movie and doesn't. You know, isn't spectacularly put together. It's. It's. It's fine. It. It, it suffers because it's part of this series that's beloved and has these two movies, especially that that are really really good. And it's not as good. I think maybe it's you know it's better than the Temple of Doom. I think I don't know if I would agree with that. <laughs> uh, I, well, this is what I'm saying is I, I think and I think there are parts of it that are actually pretty good. I think I think maybe their big mistake was that uh, the the premise that George Lucas came up with with Crystal Skull was literally we you know these are movies that are about the genre of movie that was popular at the time, and so the, the first three movies are really in this you know adventure serial style and so with time having moved on he decided that this is going to be more like a 50s Cold War sci-fi movie and I'm not sure that that is a good fit with Indiana Jones to, well and to it's hard there, because you're, you're forced into the pushing the time forward because of the fact that your stars are <laughs> of right. a certain age uh, and so that necessitates a, a shift in what we get to talk about and I didn't even mind having the you know the communists replace the Russians replace the Nazis you know I think they're a perfectly good force oil for that sort of thing but there was the whole i agree that the the thing i always loved was that the the supernatural was evident but often kind of vague well it's opaque it's not come directly out and stated i mean i don't know the the, the implication seems it has a much defter touch in the in the last crusade and raiders of the lost ark that it does not in kingdom of the crystal skull where it really is just you are beaten over the head with the fact that there are aliens. There are aliens and they have a spaceship in Mexico. And, and, and to me, that is, <laughs> it takes away the, the, any need for speculation or discussion. We're not sitting around talking about, you know, we talk about, is Indiana Jones immortal? But we're not sitting around talking about whether or not there are aliens. You know, having an, an action sequence in the big room full of boxes from the first movie, I thought was a kind of funny and bold choice. It does make me feel kind of queasy because they're going back over territory. that It cheapens it. Yeah. Which is a little unfortunate because that is one of the great moments. I think we all agreed in the first podcast we did that that last shot. That's one of the best last shots of a movie ever with, yeah, and, with that and box receding into the building the giant building full of boxes with who knows what other secrets and, in to, it. and to go back the well there lessens the impact of that and that is unfortunate 
But I, I just I, I think we risk as fans of a of, of anything the becoming the the kind of jaded cynical people who say, well, then they tried to do another one and it stunk. And we you know that's what everybody says about the prequels for Star Wars, and that's what everybody says about the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, and but, it may, but it we're may right. be true. It may be true. It may it may absolutely be true. But I I, I have to at least question it a little bit because I, I thought as an as an action movie, a summer blockbuster action movie, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was fine. I don't. Have I you, see, think have it you seen great. it again? I I've only seen it the one time, but I have the Blu-ray now. Yay. I've also only <laughs> seen it the one time, and I don't think that I'm in any hurry to go see it again. Which yeah. is even with Temple of Doom, I'll watch that every once in a while. Well, because it's not just about is it a good movie. It's about what is it what does it do to your memory of and your perception of these other things that are beloved. And I think there's I think there's some I think that's a stronger argument against it and a stronger argument against the Star Wars prequels than their actual quality as movies and whether they work f- as movies for other people. Because you know, in some ways. It's really more about your memories and your fondness for the for the this thing that you grew up with and you and that you love. And if that stuff gets rewritten, I mean, I said this about um, the third Alien movie, which I um, begins. Lex, have you seen the Alien movies? No, okay. uh, I actually haven't seen them either. Neither. <laughs> oh, no. that feels like vindication. Okay, I'll just without. Yeah, <laughs> Aliens. So Aliens are really great, taut kind of more horror sci-fi movie. Aliens is a James Cameron movie, and it's a it's a huge action spectacle. They're both great, but the the, the goal in the, in the in the second movie in Aliens is that Ripley Sigourney Weaver is trying to save the people on this planet, especially this little girl that they find, Newt, and they want to save her, and that's you know. It's a big deal that at the end of that movie, again, spoiler alert, Sigourney Reaver doesn't die at the end of Aliens. She saves, she saves the little girl and a few other people, and they escape on a spaceship from this planet that's covered with aliens. The, the third Alien movie begins with a scene where they wake Sigourney Weaver up. She's landed somewhere, and they say, yeah, everybody else is dead, but you're alive. And and the problem with that is that it's basically a big F you to all the people who liked the previous movie, which is everybody who would see a sequel to the previous movie. And that's how I feel about Crystal Skull and I feel about the prequels. It, it's more that it offends me because it's trotting on my memories of like what, what, what would happen to Indiana Jones later than it is maybe offending me by being a movie that's mediocre. There's an element of tone deafness to it, I think, because as you say, you are... You, the thing that's great about reading series or seeing series of movies, I think, is feeling like, to a certain extent, you're being rewarded for your continued viewing. In the same way the television shows, one of the things I like about watching a long serial on television is that you get rewarded as to things that are callbacks to previous episodes or things that you already learned. Oh, right. that's interesting because you know last season these two characters had this interchange and that's rewarding and so going into something which seems to just throw that all out the window is kind of tone deaf from the point of view of a creator saying that didn't matter that was not important nothing that you just saw you wasted your time well or your mind filled in the blanks in a very different way and it was better when it was all just a matter of you know you could imagine what indiana jones's future life or his past life well, I mean, that's how I felt when Last Crusade came out. I, was, I, I wanted to see more about like him at home in in in, in at, Indiana Jones at home at, at the university. And well, yes, what what are his likes? What are his dislikes? No, just just more of that because it's so brief in Raiders, right? But at the same time, you you there's always a risk that it's going to be something that you didn't want to actually see because your mental impression of what it might be is much more 
Well, you know. it's a it's a it's a it's a Schrodinger's cat thing. It can be all those things at those times. Right. But as soon as it's as soon as that box is opened, it's defined. Well, yeah, and you split between watching the people or wanting the people who oh, I only want to see Indy when he's in the hat, when he's out and about, and the people who oh, I would like to see more about Indy's his, home life. His, and yes, what his, he cooks for dinner. And yeah, exactly. Those, all those things. What crush is currently happening in his classroom? We haven't done an episode about battle. Battlestar Galactica yet, but just to mention it here, I know a lot of people are really disappointed in the ending of that show, but I, I find that Lex... I'm, I'm, I'm only... I finished the first season. Are you going to spoil it? I, I'll try not to spoil it. What, okay. what I'll say is I think the end... The way that show ended is if you watch from the beginning, one of the very serious possibilities of how it was going to end, and I think the reaction a lot of people had to it was because they were able to it was that Schrodinger's cat thing. They were able to think that it was going to end in a different way and kind of not de-emphasize the parts that were like, that, that part of the story I'm not that interested in, I kind of don't buy that, kind of deprioritize that and believe that there was going to be an ending that fulfilled what they thought the show was about. And, and for me, I always thought that the show was going to end the way it did, actually. So well, I, wasn't, I wasn't disappointed by it because I knew that's where they were going or I felt that. But I totally understand that somebody else you know your expectations are different and and at the end you have to make a choice and it can collapse the well, I had that and the cat is dead in the I, box. I had a com- I had a conversation last night uh, about lost and about the ending of lost which I think falls into a similar scenario where some people were really disappointed I was and we'll do that episode too. Yeah. Well, I was not, and I would like I to have either. that discussion. But um, the most hated I think last that, episode. I thought it was a great last episode, but but there's an issue, there issues, again. There yeah. is an issue of this yeah. idea that you know you have to have a payoff, and at some points people are going to be disappointed. They find not. Indiana Jones on the island at the end. <laughs> you may not have understood that reference. He's in a box. Yes, he may be alive or dead. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been great talking. Uh, to you guys about this movie series, which we, we love parts of and don't apparently love other parts of. And Lex, but at least have seen all of. And but, Lex, but you are suggesting, when I watch it now, I should only watch the first ten minutes of the second one? I, 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 would, start, I would watch the first movie and the third movie. And I, I would maybe, say watch, watch Temple Doom. Do it. Don't watch it with the, you know, don't watch it with the kids. No. no. But you know, watch it to know what it is, and then know that the third movie is better. So that at least you get through that and say, nah, that wasn't that good. You know, well, okay, well, at least the third one's going to be better than that. And if you want to see a man in, hide in a refrigerator to survive a <laughs> nuclear uh, test, uh, then watch the fourth movie. Honestly, I think the fridge thing, not having seen the movie, is, is Spielberg <laughs> finally getting to have the refrigerator scene he wanted originally when he was working with Zemeckis on Back to the Future. The original time machine was supposed to be a refrigerator, but they got worried that kids would see the movie and hide in refrigerators to try to travel through time and, and die. So I think he just wanted to get his refrigerator. Instead, scene. we had that plague of kids trying to hide in DeLoreans. Yeah. That was much worse. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I want to thank my guests for being in this very special live episode of The Incomparable. Dan Morin, thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. Lex Friedman, see the movies. See the movies. And Serenity Caldwell, thank you as always. Thank you. And thanks to everybody at Singleton who is hanging out in one of these rare times when we have a live studio audience and they haven't booed us off yet, so I think it's time to say goodbye. Thanks to you guys in the audience and thanks for listening to The Incomparable. (laughs) 